Episode 2 of the Nothing But Nylon podcast, the Nylon Calculus podcast. Uh, joining me today is Andrew Johnson, that's at Counting Baskets on Twitter, and a writer for Nylon Calculus um, who does a lot of really great work, and the two-time defending uh, win projection champion on the uh, APBR metrics board. <laughs> so so uh, um, welcome, Andrew. Uh, thanks, Kevin. I feel like I, I maybe I should have got a meeting with Durant. You know, I, I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't blow the lead uh, last year. So yeah, don't don't let Andrew winning back to back years distract you from the fact that the Warriors blew a three to one lead in the finals. <laughs> exactly. Um, so uh, just to kick things off, uh, I kind of like to break into the the podcast questions uh, with this, just to give people a sense of uh, who the uh, the writers are uh, when they're not writing. Um, but, uh, just curious how you got into basketball originally. I, I imagine being uh, in the Boston area probably helps. Uh, yeah, I, um, really hadn't been, um, a huge basketball fan until I moved, uh, uh, to Boston. I grew up in Nebraska and, you know, football is, is, uh, kind of a re- religion there. So when I grew up, that was, uh, the main sport that I followed kind of what I, I knew the most about, but eventually sort of got, um, I burned out on it or, or something. And, uh, when I came out here, I moved over to both, uh, baseball to some degree, but, but really, uh, kind of took up basketball more is, is my, uh, passion. So, yeah. So, so basketball is your, your favorite sport now. Is that accurate? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so you, have you stopped following football closely, uh, where you said yeah, you got I, burnt I, out on it? Yeah, I really, I really uh, uh, don't don't follow it that much. You know, a little bit, you know, a game occasionally, but um, you know, I don't know who half the quarterbacks in, in the NFL are <laughs> anymore. Well, so, well, in Boston, uh, as long as you know who touchdown Tom is, I'm sure you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, that's, you can carry on a conversation as long as you know a little bit about the Patriots. You think you have to do that for for social reasons. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm in Connecticut, so I, I get a little bit of that too. It's a it's a mix of uh, Patriots fans and Giants fans, and as long as you're conversant with uh, a little bit about either of those two teams, you're probably fine. Right. Uh, all right. So one of the uh, one of the things that I was really curious about was um, f- for you. You've done a lot of different work for Nylon Calculus, and also on your own blog uh, where you started writing initially. Um, that, that's been pretty interesting to me. I've been following along with uh, your writing uh, pretty close to since the beginning, um, and I think I've read through all your backlogs because that's what I do because I'm a giant nerd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, anyways, I was just curious for you, what, what's been the most interesting thing, uh, like, w- what topic interests you the, the most of all the things that you've kind of uh, looked at? You know, I'm definitely a big uh, draft fan, um, in, in part because it's uh, just an interesting problem and, it, and it's so 
difficult to predict. So I spent a lot of time on on the draft and, and you know and sort of right shortly after I started uh, you know doing this was when Sport View came out. Um, you know, and that's I think maybe we forget about how much that's revolutionized. Um, you know, to some degree, what, what we know about the the sport, and you know, it's not just simple uh, box score. I was you know very excited to do a little bit with play by play when I first started, but then Sport View came out, and so that's been a fascinating thing to uh, to follow. So those are those are two kind of the things that have been the most interesting since I, I started looking into this stuff. And um, and early on, I did one of my favorite things that I've I've done is a, a cluster analysis that grouped. Uh, players by their shot type that they take as slashing guards and uh, um, and uh, stretch guards and same thing with with big men and I thought that was that was one of the more interesting things that was like one of the very first things I I did using uh, data from uh, I think it was hoop math that, that's oh, no longer no longer even around so yeah yeah I, I remember I remember that post um, and I also remember uh, it was, was it hoop math or was it hoop data that you hoop that you, data? I think yeah. Because I was gonna say I think hoop math is still around, but it's like a subscription service that's right. like Ho- co- hoop math using college stuff, right? Yeah, hoop data was um, th- that was a great website. I, I think a lot of what they the kinds of stuff that they did ended up getting incorporated into the Basketball Reference. A lot of it was like shot location stuff, right? Um, and, and now Basketball Reference has that stuff, but I remember at the time that was like the only place you could get that. And then when they kind of shuttered their doors it was it was very sad for for basketball nerds <laughs> yeah definitely um but uh yeah that that post was really great i it was one of a, a bunch of different um you were one of uh several people i think that has looked into kind of um player uh style types essentially as, as a right. means of um kind of reimagining positions um and, and I think that also goes into the larger questions of, of fit and how rosters uh, you need to what skill sets need to go together right. to to build a successful team, which is obviously a very interesting question and a, a pretty important one for um, teams, especially. Right. Um, so there were there were two that I did. One was on shot location, and one was on uh, how many of their shots uh, were assisted or where they were getting assisted, and and it, you know. Back then, this was a few years ago. They were still trying in Boston to fit Avery Bradley in as a point guard. Um, this is when Doc Rivers was was still there, and they're still trying to, uh, or when I think maybe Brad Stevens had just started. And and you know, you looked at his shot data, and that you know he he wasn't creating his own shots at, at all. It was he was uh, you know almost all his shots were assisting. He said you know that that kid's not a point guard, and that was like <laughs> one one of the. The first posts I did is Avery Bradley is not a point guard exclamation <laughs> point. Yeah, I, I I always enjoy when uh, when your posts turn sort of critical of the Celtics just because I don't I don't know for there, maybe there's there's some aspect of it that comes from where I sort of got my start with with writing uh, before I did anything um, under my own name. I commented a lot on uh, the Espionation blog uh, bloggable um mm-hmm. and the general tenor of that site is to be very critical of the bulls <laughs> um yes they, yeah they have a they have a there there's distinct style with that yeah yeah uh matt uh your friendly bulls blogger has uh created a a very um 
cynical cynical is probably too far but it, it's a a uh aggressively questioning culture uh, at the blog um right. and I, I kind of came out of that and you know obviously wanted to put numbers to the claims that i was making because i just think that that makes sense and that's sort of where i got started into being interested in the the analytics um aspect of it and then obviously doing the thing that everybody does when they're on the internet and trying to f- find the specific stat that would prove my point and ig- <laughs> ignoring all the others that, that might've been counter evidence. <laughs> um, but, uh, so you, you mentioned your draft model as being like the, one of the things that's most interesting to you. Um, so you, your draft model is, uh, the modeled variable for it is mm-hmm. al- alternate win score. Um, can you describe alternate win score a little bit and also maybe in describing it, uh, get into why you prefer that over other metrics like, uh, say, VORP or uh, box plus minus or win shares? Right. Um, you know, the it's a, a linear uh, box score uh, metric, and it's, you know, one of the benefits to me is it's pretty simple and it, it's... Uh, Maybe not easy for other people to understand, but it's sort of easy for for me to understand and see. You know, when you're using box score metrics for uh, the college players and the players coming out of Europe, uh, what translates uh, direct? You know, directly do points translating. You know, so you you can see more of a one to one relationship with what their uh, performance was in college and than what it is. In the pros, I, I've uh, played around a little bit with adding um, uh, adjusted pl- or uh, uh, regularized adjusted plus minus, and uh, probably will do that at, at finally finish doing that at some point. But and when I initially wanted to do it, I, I wanted to do something. You know, this is kind of how they did in college, and this is how they do in pros, and we can kind of see how the numbers do or do not translate for each sort of uh, category. So that I felt like that was a good one. And the reason I, I chose this specific one was a study that Neil Payne had done where um, he found that this one was slightly better than some of very similar metrics in terms of teams that had high turnover in, in predicting who would win, uh, that it was a, a little more stable than, than some of the others. Uh, when you had a lot of different players moving around, that it, it still held up pretty well, and, and that's a pretty good metric uh, for uh, for a, a stat that it still still works even when you sort of uh, mix up the puzzle pieces. Um, you know, some of the, some of the other ones that only kind of work if you keep all the same players on the same team. Right. Yeah, you know, that shows that they're they're not as as stable and not really something you want to rely on because they're they're, they're kind of masking something. Yeah, so it's it's essentially kind of a almost controlling a little bit for fit as much as right. as, as possible because it's a yeah, it, it's not a huge difference, but yeah, it it, it is a little more stable uh, when you when you move players around, and and so it just seemed like. Uh, of those uh, different linear, um, li- linear type of metrics, the one to go with, and that's that's why I chose it. So yeah, so one of the um, the so so I had a another question, kind of based on that. 
do you know so what is league average roughly for alternate win score because like when i look at some of your outputs it's easier to it's easier to understand them in terms of like rank order um but when i look at the orders of magnitude in terms of like um what's average for a player um so like you did a post very recently about projecting the rookie class forward and i think um Carl Anthony Towns was like a, a nine or something like that, or maybe higher. Yeah. Um, and trying trying to understand that where that places him within so, the, the rest of the league was so like uh, an eight is is kind of your basic all star. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think Durant in his last time I looked at like when he had his MVP season, he was a little bit over eleven. Okay. Um, and a starter is usually a little bit over five and like an average player is probably a four and then guys who fall into the three or below are, are probably their backbenchers are maybe in danger of falling kind of out of the league. Gotcha. Uh, if they fall, fall below three. Um, so I think, I think, you know, um, if I was going to convert it with a, you know, I've compared it with Dre before and uh, I think uh, a four is about as, Four and, and AWS is about a zero in plus minus percentages. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so actually, I was looking. I'm now looking just at your production. Uh, your uh, you had so you had two different models for projecting rookie performance forward. Right. Uh, and so I guess Towns was the production model had him as a uh, a thirteen. So the pr- yeah, that, pr- that pretty that high. Sounds, so- yeah, that and that's a little harder to even uh, uh, contextualize. There, you know, it's uh, you have to kind of convert it to a, a VORP or. A, oh, okay, that makes sense. Water, yeah, because it, it, VORP or a, you know total win shares. It's it's actually probably you know when I run it as a regression just against uh, for the same rookie classes. You know their win shares and their. AWS pr- production are you know about an eighty percent R squared or so, um, so you know it's it's very similar um, metric, but they said it's a little bit more stable because uh, win shares is very uh, contingent on um, scoring efficiency, right? Which is one of the more variable um, stats for a player year to year. So this one is a little bit sort of between a little bit more of a. Rewards volume scoring a little bit more than say a win shares does, but less than a per. So. Right, that makes sense. It, it makes sense to me in terms of just why alternate win score works a little bit better. In the sense that, like, if a metric is reliant on efficiency, um, the context in which a player is operating is going to matter a lot. So, like, you could be, and like that's that's actually something you see even like in college players. I think. Like uh, Doug McDermott was a very, <laughs> to use a favorite example of mine, was a very <laughs> efficient college scorer. Um, right. But that's a completely different context than uh, what he is being asked to do in the pros. Right. Um, and, you know, his rookie year, he was, was not super efficient. This past year, a little bit more so, but like... Right. It, the other stuff that he doesn't do ends up mattering right. a lot more. Scoring scoring is is probably the the least reliable uh, stat coming from uh, college or or Europe uh, in, into the NBA. And there's I guess two reasons for it. One is is the, just that um, 
scoring efficiency is um, is a pretty variable thing. And uh, two is that almost all these guys are, are big scorers in you know their college um, team, and a lot of them are not going to be in that same kind of role once they get to the NBA. Um, you know, McDermott's a good example of that. I don't remember what his his usage numbers were at Creighton, but it was you know very high, and, and he's never going to touch anywhere near that um, in the NBA. So um, those, those sort of things, um, scoring and scoring efficiency, you know, unlike rebounds or assists um, or steals, just don't come over as well. Yeah, I think I think Nick uh, Restifo and I got into this a, a little bit in our conversation in episode one, and I think the example that I, I talked about a little bit was like Tony Allen. Like Tony Allen was an incredible college player, and like he was actually a really good scorer in college. But like being a really good scorer in college is like kind of the baseline that you need, right. need to have to even be a viable NBA player because the defenses are so good and the athletes are so good. Um, so like it makes sense then that that becomes kind of a a less predictive thing because kind of everybody has to be able to right to which is also incidentally the reason that like any NBA player would absolutely destroy you and your friends <laughs> at, at like a pickup game like people the the example of that being like Brian Scalabrini going and like playing with people and thinking people thinking that they could take Brian Scalabrini and it's like no right. like Scal will destroy you <laughs> in pickup. Yeah, even at at the end of his career, you know, if you saw him at I don't remember it was the USC, yeah. um, you know, and he was a twenty point a game scorer there, and and you know, and people people sort of forget the, those sort of things. Yeah, for sure. Um, so again, keep keeping on sort of the the track of your. Uh, the post you wrote about projecting rookies forward. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you mentioned in it a little bit about uh, Jalil Okafor maybe being a good buy low candidate just be, for some team uh, because he actually projects fairly well. And, and you caveated that, of course, with the fact that right. this is a box score metric and defense isn't really super well accounted for. Um, but he his value is yeah. probably very low given the log jam in in Philadelphia. Is he somebody that you would, you'd like to see your Celtics go after? Um, probably, you know, probably not as a as a first candidate. But you know that that the defense is is a big caveat. <laughs> right. But I do, but I do think that um, you know people sort of he's still a really you know a pretty young player, and he was super efficient uh in college and wasn't you know box score wise uh, um terrible for for a rookie so i i do think he's a for some team a, a possible buy by low candidate and you know i wouldn't mind it for the Celtics, but i think you know they're at the kind of place with just having acquired uh al horford where well they're not going to compete you know for a championship they do want to make a, a deep playoff run and so i'm not sure how how getting a, a second year um something of a project player you know to then to go alongside uh jalen brown as a project player um fits you know with their timeline and, and fits with the you know their needs really which is uh on the wing and and shooting so yeah uh, that, makes, that, that makes total sense it's not not a, a great fit or great uh, timing for them to to look to develop that, but 
you know, I, I you know, looking at the situation that the um, Sixers are in, or at least according to the rumors, they they want they want to get rid of either uh, Noel. Noel's still the player I, I think is, is the better player, and he projected better in, in uh, my original draft model and and, and after his his uh, rookie year. But um, on the other hand, you're going to have to pay him uh, next year, um, at least. Uh, close to a, a market salary with uh, with him being a restricted free agent. Um, well, so, so I was going to say, uh, sp- speaking of what his market salary would be, you wrote a post before free agency started that, um, that it, was pre- it was kind of a simple model and it was um, basically trying to project what the, the value for players would be um, can you kind of like describe a little bit what what the major um, drivers of uh, I guess what determines salaries or, or determined salaries under that model and right. um, sort of what you what you felt how were you surprised it seemed like it did pretty well um, it did it did pretty well I had actually um, two models that I I tried out and and. Um, I was sort of surprised that the one that that did better was the one that I had thought was maybe more of an overfit, and that was um, basically based on um, uh, for that one I used uh, offensive box plus minus because I wanted to see you know offense versus defense, uh, minutes played, defensive rebounds and usage, and those were the and a and age um, were, were the things that that came into the model. Age being being a negative factor. And it, and it did pretty well. The thing that that was probably off, and what I didn't really recognize was uh, when I trained it. You know, uh, centers had actually been getting a premium in in the training data, but this last year, other than uh, Mozgov, um, people kind of realized that there was a glut of centers that happened to hit free agency at, at the same time. So um, some of them ended up having to get a discount, and I sort of consistently had overestimated that because I had, you know, gone back and tried to adjust the model for, for that sort of uh, supply and demand in, in that particular uh, model. And then, yeah. like, Zaza Pachulia completely broke the model by taking, <laughs> taking that um, minimum deal. I think I had him pegged to make, like, $11 million or something a year. Yeah. So, uh, I was I was going to say, like, the uh, I mean stuff like Zaza taking that I don't think that's a, a negative reflection of the model at all. I think that's just more right. uh, you, you can't account for everything and he, he took uh, what is obviously well below his market value. Um, but I feel like he could have he probably could have found uh, you know another former player where he could have bought a ring for less than ten million dollars. <laughs> probably so. That's his so. Choice, so. Um, so the. You said offensive box plus minus was a pretty big driver. Does that mm-hmm. does that make you feel like maybe Nerlens could be undervalued, Nick? Like when he goes into restricted free agency because he is uh, his offensive box score numbers have been kind of horrendous. A lot of that being, I think this is opinion, but a lot of that do, to do with the Philadelphia situation. But it it it, uh, it you know it could be. Um... And this is probably more. This is more opinion than um, than anything. I do think the one th- place where uh, the league 
does recognize defense is really more with centers. If it, if it's anywhere, I think centers uh, who provide defense are, are, are pretty well valued. Um, whereas I'm not sure um, there's far along, at least on wing defense uh, in particular, but um, so, so I'm not sure that model result will, will would hold up for, for him. And it'll be interesting to see, I'll probably tweak the model and, and add another year in, um, from last year and uh, and see where it does. The other thing that it sort of missed a little bit is, you know, it adjusted it for the percent of the cap rise, but uh, the values, while they were pretty much in line, they're all a little bit higher than what I'd uh, what I'd adjusted for because, you know, not only did the cap go up, but people had all these lower salaries on the books. So they actually had more money to spend even than that large cap increase. They just had a whole pot. Uh, of money sitting there, and, and um, it'll be interesting to see how these these play out because this is next year's the last sort of get out of jail free uh, card for these executives, where the salary cap's going to to take one last jump, and then after that, you know they're going to be back to sort of the old world where if you make a bad contract, it's going to really restrict your your ability to sign sign people the next year. Well, that, that was a very diplomatic way of, of saying that NBA GMs uh, spent like drunken sailors this summer, <laughs> right? Yeah, like, you know, they you know, they had they had a lot of money to spend just to to hit that uh, cap floor. Um, and again, next year it's going to go up one, probably one last time with a big increase. So few of those deals are are going to come back and and bite them. Maybe a couple will, but um, you know, for the for the most part, they're going to. Uh, there's not going to be a lot of negative re- repercussions for for most of those deals, as, as crazy as they look. Yeah, in terms of uh, updates to the model, I guess you could, you could maybe. Um, now we're just kind of spitballing on the podcast, but uh, <laughs> maybe you could look at the amount of available dollars um, based on people's cat like. Uh, the, the right. like the percentage or the dollar total dollars in the market based on like what the cap is and obviously right. that ignores I, like some of like the things where you can go over the cap and yada 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 you yeah, can't I, account for all of that but I just did it as a percentage of the cap and so then uh, but the issue was that things went up more than the percentage of the cap because they had these low salaries on, on the books so um, right. you know, all the people who came off. At, at a lower salary, and there's that. Well, now we have um, an even bigger pot of money just sit, sitting there, uh, looking, waiting for us to spend it. Right. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to see like sort of the next iteration of it uh, next year. It was definitely kind of uh, interesting to, to to read. I guess the other thing that you mentioned uh, differences in terms of how the league values different positions. Um, I don't know if you get into problems with sample size with binning players by position um, to to try to look at you know do centers actually like is the curve I guess different for centers so right. th- that sort of thing but maybe you get into too small sample size there yeah for my original I I think I don't have quite the you know unless I go back a few more years uh quite the the data to to do that but i think that'd be interesting to look at i looked at those uh simply as factors in the model but uh, not anything that was you know uh interactive or or whatever that would i think then that take another another uh size of data that, that from what i have yeah um all right so switching gears a little bit you've as i mentioned at the in the sort of intro 
uh, you've won the APBR metrics uh, win projection contest the last two years with your, uh, as you call them, highly plausible win projections, right. um, which are largely based on a combination of uh, your player tracking plus minus metric and uh, blended with, I think it's regularized adjusted plus minus. Yep. Um, and so you wrote a post, uh, I think very recently about, uh, sort of how much of your win projections, um, was it your projections or the actual win totals that were explained by, um, sort of the offensive metrics at a player level? So what I, what I did is, um, I went back and, you know, I used instead of projected minutes, I used the actual minutes that, that players had played. And then I used my preseason uh, defensive uh, projection to kind of project, in this case, the uh, the defensive efficiency or defensive rating of a team and for the offensive projection to, pro- uh, to project the offensive rating or offensive efficiency for the team and then convert those you know, say wins. If you you had uh, an average defense and the team's actual offense, how many te- how many games would they have won, and and how close would my projection uh, have come? So I sort of you know split split their win totals into offensive and and defensive, and just to see uh, which one was closer. And and it was uh, not surprisingly the offensive projections uh, were more successful and in projecting how how efficient and offensive on offense the team was than the defense was um, with the defensive side. So it wasn't quite because I was only using 30 uh, in one year and, and 30 different projections wasn't quite at, you know, what they call the statistically significant, but it was, it was pretty close. And, uh, and it's sort of what, you know, since it, I guess, confirms, I think what most people suspect um, that, you know, we have more data on offense. We sort of understand it a little bit better. And it's, um, and honestly, offense is, is a little bit less noisy overall. If you look at teams' um, defensive efficiency year to year, there's much lower correlation uh, than their offensive efficiency. So, you know, it's, I think it's kind of an interesting thing for us as analysts to, to think about like, how much we really know about defense and, and how much of the, you know, defense is really is how much of it is luck yeah um, I, I wonder that was kind of like what i wanted to get into with you like i so you know you probably there's kind of no way I, I would imagine at this point to have a an actual concrete numeric answer but sort of like my my thought is how, how much do you think that difference between what we know about offense or how much we can predict about offense uh is explained by sort of us tracking more on offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how much of that do you think is int- like basically intrinsic to defense and maybe we'll never be able to measure it quite as well because it's more of, especially if you're projecting based on individual players and then sort mm-hmm. of ranking up, like defense feels to me very much more like a um, a, a group project, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas offense can be much more of an individualistic thing. Um, not always, but... Right. So there, there's two... Uh, Ken Palm had a, a great uh, series on... Is it on college ball? But you know, he was looking at um, how much 
um, on different categories um, was the offense seemed to be controlling and the defense seemed to be controlling. I think by by looking at um, you know how how well uh, they would predict from one period to the next. And so he found on most of them, you know, like uh, three-point shooting, it was pretty much all the offense, like a defensive three-point shooting percentages was, you know, 90% luck. Um, And obviously on free throw shooting, that's all on the offense. But even on uh, a number of other things, pace was, you know, mostly controlled um, by the offensive side of the ball. So, yeah, pace is like two, like at least in the Ken Palm study, it was like almost two thirds, right? Was, was right. controlled by the by the offense. Yeah, so there, you know there are more categories, but you know on on almost all of them, it was uh, seemed to be you know controlled by the offense, and so that that really has been something that stuck with me. That to think about, well, you know, even if we we measure uh, all these things, and we can definitely measure more things now with with Sport View. Um, how much of it is is just going to be luck? And I know we we've said this on Twitter a number of different times when you say you know somebody's three point defense and say oh people shot thirty two percent against um, James Harden on three pointers last year or they they you know that really is not going to be a good predictor of what's going to happen next year or or whatever the the number is so that. They don't doesn't seem like the the defender actually has much uh, that much effect on it on the percentage that his opponent is shooting. Yeah, I think like the good rule of thumb that's been kind of discussed on basketball analytic Twitter as much as that is that is a thing uh, is if you want to measure how well a team is guarding the three point line, as it were, like the better thing is to look at like uh, how many like attempts they're giving up right because obviously giving up three pointers if you don't really have any control over whether or not they go in and i mean no control is probably overstating it but if like mm-hmm. you said it's 90 percent luck in terms of whether or not they go in and it's mostly determined by the skill of the the shooter mm-hmm. um then it, it's you're much better off just trying to force guys off the three-point line um, right and then you get a player like Stephen Curry, who it's impossible to force off the three-point line because he can shoot from thirty feet away, and then you're just kind of right. screwed. <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, not 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 as, as as much you can do there. But that's yeah, that's I think the the consensus, and, and it seems to me to be right because if you look at the number of uh, closely contested three-point shots, uh, there aren't that many of them because most players don't take them, especially if you know you're a catch and shoot. Uh, player that you know they they want to get that open three-point shot um get the ball and and uh, go up in rhythm and so if they're closely contested um they're more likely to pass on the shot and either try and drive or, or kick it to somebody else right yeah that may that makes sense um so what one of the things that you've um well actually let, let me ask this first so you're a, a big draft model guy, and, and we mentioned a little bit about uh, my favorite, some of my favorite posts of yours being uh, sort of when you're talking, when, you, when you're putting more of your Celtics fan hat on than uh, than your analytic hat. That usually you mm-hmm. wear, uh, but in those posts you, you're still using the numbers to make your case generally. But um, 
I'm just curious, uh, sort of how much stock you put into the draft models um, that you do and other people do versus the eye test, and, and that's all kind of a, a um, you know a, a another way of asking how are you feeling about Jalen Brown? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, knew, I knew that was coming. I could tell it was a big big wind up for that. Um, yeah, I'd had a post uh, at Nylon, uh, I think. Uh, and so like, where don't I give free free advice to Danny Ainge? And, and my advice on, on uh, Jalen Brown at that time was do not uh, want. Um, <laughs> and so uh, obviously that shows how much how much influence uh, that had. But you know he, you know if you look at his numbers uh, from from Cal for his one season, they were really um, not good. <laughs> and uh, you know the. The two things actually, you know, the scoring efficiency is actually not really the most troubling thing. That it was really the um, turnovers and fouls. You know, he had one of the worst turnover assist turnover ratios for any of the wings that were in the Draft Express top 100. He had the worst um, ratio, and uh, and he had you know serious foul trouble for for a wing also. So. And the the steals and blocks and uh, rebounds were all just sort of okay, uh, so none of, you know none of those things really pulled pulled him out. Um, so I'm I'm uh, somewhat skeptical on 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 him still, but I think the other thing that you know I would say is that uh, you know the best process has to uh, include what the scouts say. The scouts are definitely adding separate value that you know we're nowhere near capturing all of in in draft models um the draft models are at least on, on their own terms you know in, in terms of predicting uh you know the variables that we're, we're looking at better than than the actual drafters but there's still you know some really clear clear value that, that the scouts are bringing so and i've looked at a couple different ways to combine it one just using uh the draft space or the consensus uh, of where people thought they were going to go before the draft. And those both, you know, add separate value. And I've also done where I took tiers of like sort of dividing up and did a, a hierarchical model of guys in the top 20, middle 20 and the bottom 20. And that was kind of interesting. That was one of the last ones I, I did. And that one really showed the guys in the bottom 20, you know, no matter what kind of what their numbers say, they have very very little chance of of, of making it. Um, and and if, if they were kind of consensus, um, you know, forty and below, the the, the um, you really just have to kind of get lucky with that. So on on Brown specifically, you know, you can always kind of create stories about why his. Um, Numbers don't tell the truth about, uh, you know, what he's going to be in uh, as a pro. And, and as a Celtics fan, I certainly hope that those those numbers are, are not right. But, yeah, and maybe maybe those stories are right. You know, maybe the, the spacing forced up his turnovers. You know, maybe that's just some decision-making that he can uh, grow out of. But, you know... Uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll have to see. He did a little better in, in uh, uh, summer league than uh, certainly than he had in uh, at in college. So, um, 
you know that's uh, that's that's one of the things we'll have to, we'll have to see how that turns out. Yeah, I think when I ran the I ran a couple of different sort of um, simple statistical plus minus models, including Dre um, on his and everyone else's summer league stats, but I tried to basically take out a lot of the as much as possible. I tried to regress the um, shooting percentages from mm-hmm. the line and from the three point line and from uh, and from the field from two point mm-hmm. range. Uh, I tried to re- sort of regress those to the mean because in those smallest sample sizes, obviously there, there's probably not that much information there. And when you did all that, um, he graded out you know pretty well in terms of how he played um, in the summer league. And obviously that's a much smaller sample than. Um, Right. Than than his college career, but maybe the, maybe it's slightly more meaningful than uh than the sample size would indicate just because it's against other um NBA talent and and or fringe uh NBA right. talent. So I know Kevin Pelton did a, a thing a couple of years ago and I think he said uh for his that summer league sort of was about um a third as much uh, predict as well predictive as someone's college stats, if I remember correctly. So you know, considering it's only usually like 150, 175 minutes, um, you know, it's a actually a little more predictive than on a per minute basis. So you know, I guess as a Celtics fan, I got to take whatever solace I can that that he did well there and and. and uh, yeah, well, he and Terry Rozier, uh, another another not loved analytical pick, but uh, <laughs> both did fairly well uh, from from the at least from the numbers I ran. Um, right. You know, uh, this past summer league and Rozier, you'd hope that he would have done that because he was a second year player and and all of that. But I remember that was a pick that also got a lot of kind of groans um, from, right. from people online and. You know, maybe it'll turn out to be uh, to to be. Maybe they'll both turn out to be good. Maybe maybe Danny Ainge knows something that we all don't. Right, right, and uh, you know he's got uh, David uh, Sparks working for him. Yeah, um, yeah. They have they have a whole host of of um, smart people working on their uh, working on their decision for decision making for drafts, but not just analytics guys, but also uh, scouts right. and things like that. So, yeah. so again, we'll we'll see. Uh, certainly, would would buck the uh, the the public models that I've seen if if he uh, works out. But you know, here's hoping. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, kind of small sample sizes and how much stock you can put into them, uh, like summer league, you've you've written a little bit in the in the past on your blog um, about uh, how much info is in preseason games, and you know, preseason is shockingly right around the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, how much stock do you, do you think people should should put into the preseason? Is, is there any information there, or is it is it all kind of uh, just garbage that we shouldn't really pay very much attention to? Uh, no, so I've done it both. Looked at it for teams and for players, and I I think you know my basic um, stance for players is really you know rookies and guys who are on new teams are really the only thing you're you're gonna uh see much that's probably worth um worth taking away you know rookies it's their first 
actual NBA experience or, or near actual NBA experience. And for guys on new teams, you know, you want to see sort of what role they're, they're, they're stepping into or what, um, you know, they're doing like when Kevin Love uh, went to the Cavaliers, I think it became pretty, um, pretty obvious immediately that there was going to be some fit issues. Um, they worked out a lot of them in the regular season in the second year, but you know, that first year it, it looked pretty obvious that um, pretty, pretty soon that they, they had some things to try and try and figure out. Um, and then for, for rookies, like I said, that, you know, that adds value. You don't have much uh, to go on. Um, so you're, you're um, so you, 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 a little bit goes kind of a long way in that respect. And then for teams, um, I've also took a look at that a couple a couple of times, and I think 82 Games had done a, a study uh, once, and I found something uh, pretty similar. Was that um, you know if you have their record last year and you you add uh, preseason from this year, it, it adds uh, it adds some value, it adds a, a little bit of value. Um, again, I think uh, looking at how the Cavs did. Uh, Last year was sort of indicative that they maybe weren't going to win that many regular season games as some people had thought, and some of that was uh, injuries and things. But um, you know that they're they didn't have as much depth, and in the regular season, you know that cost them a few games. But I don't think they they also didn't plan on winning the Eastern Conference by any more games than than they really had to. Yeah, they they had uh, Le- LeBron in full on uh, look host mode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that, that, that's it's definitely interesting stuff that that uh, I think a lot of fans completely discount preseason um, and don't put a, a ton of stock in it. Um, uh, but it, and uh, Charlotte was another team that last year, you know, I, if, if I remember correctly, that um, they played pretty well in, in preseason and and you know were won maybe six of their games or seven of their games. Uh, I, I I could be making that up, but yeah, I, I, they, I remember them sticking out as a team uh, that did well, and then they ended up having a, a much better season than I think uh, most people thought they were going to. Yeah, I think the general consensus, both from people that ran models and the you know that just the the sort of people that go more on the uh, the eye test, as it were, uh, all kind of had Charlotte uh, not looking too great going into that season. And, you know, then they won a bunch of games and uh, very much overperformed where, where right. people thought they would be. Um, I, but, yeah, I, I think that's that's really cool that, that the preseason does have uh, – th- there's information there. And I, I think that's one of the kind of takeaways I've gotten from most of – the reading and kind of paying attention that I to the analytic stuff that I um, have done over the last few years is just like almost all of this stuff is uh, valuable to to some extent. Um, it's just the the biggest question is always to what extent is it valuable right. and like how much do you update your prior beliefs? You know that speaking from that kind of like Bayesian perspective, like how much do you update your prior beliefs based on a small amount of data or, um, and how much do you weight those things? And, you know, obviously you can back test that and that's kind right. of how we, we determine these things. And that, yeah, I think that the Bayesian perspective is, is, is huge, hugely valuable just to sort of keep yourself, uh, grounded, um, 
in both directions, not to throw away information and not to, you know, on the Internet or, or in, um, you know, certainly the, the TV type co- commentators uh, love to overreact to whatever the most recent event is, you know, go from he's the best player to he's the worst player, you know, for just in a matter of of a of a couple plays, you know. Um, oh, oh, Andrew, you, you mean that if LeBron misses one shot in the clutch, it doesn't mean that he's not clutch? Exactly. You know, you can kind of imagine like uh, I, I sort of imagine like a Bill Walton uh, calling a game. Oh, he's the the best player in Lakers history, and then he misses a shot. And the Lakers are terrible. <laughs> you know, and, and they just kind of. You know, and and we all, you know, when you get emotional with a game, you, you know, you, everybody has has the tendency to do that. So I think that Bayesian's perspective both uh, kind of guards you on both ways. You know, to uh, take the recent events, but try and uh, weight them against, you know, all, whatever information you already have on hand, and not kind of, you know, either throw throw either either way the new information or the uh, the prior stuff. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, I think that's that's about it. Before we go, I just wanted to ask: Do, do you have any uh, sort of big projects in the pipeline for us to get excited about, or any uh, uh, like upgrades to for your wind projections that the wind, I'm sure sure will yeah, be the on the way? The wind projections are, are, are the thing that I'm uh, uh, working on now, and so the, kind of my question for myself is: you know, How much do I want to change it? Uh, you know, I have a couple of ideas for improvements but um how much time do i want to put into those and and uh you know are they actually going to be improvements or or am i uh gonna just mess myself up but uh what that offense and defense thing that i that i did in waiting them was part of that was uh think about splitting sort of my uh regressing players you know when you take how a player did one year and you regress it back towards uh the mean or or to uh some other standard um and this is, you know, maybe I, I'm what I'm looking at is doing offense and defense, uh, sort of regressing them separately and regressing the defense uh, more. Right. See if it sort of helps improve my uh, my projections or my, my prior projections and, and then carry that forward for next year. Well, I will tell you uh, that in talking to him, Nick Restifo is after you. So, so he's try he's he's trying to come come for your crown. So, <laughs> all right. Well, we'll see. <laughs> all right, Andrew. Well, it's uh, it's been great chatting. Uh, thanks for coming on on the podcast again. Andrew's uh, Twitter handle is at Counting Baskets. Uh, he's a really great follow, and you should read everything that he's written on his website and on Nylon Calculus because it's all great. <laughs> Um, yeah. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me on, Kevin.